I can remember uh, Candy Dolpha. She was great. So we played Pick Up the Pieces with Candy Dolpha. Yeah. But then I was playing it and my mind just went blank. And you're like, I've no idea what the next chord is. And there's nothing you can do. You are on live television, you know. Of course. So you just learn to deal with those kind of, you know, mistakes. I mean, we all learn to do that as musicians. You learn to cover and and that's part of the skill, really, of becoming a, a well-rounded musician. You've got to learn to deal with that and, and also not let it phase you. Hello, welcome back to the Keys Coach podcast. My name's Adam, and if you're joining us for the first time, I'm a keys player, and this is the podcast where I sit down with other piano, keys, and synth players and talk about their life in music. Today, we're chatting with Jeanette Mason. She's a piano player, keys player, band leader, and in this conversation, we talk about her work in commercial music as a session musician playing with artists and bands like Oasis and Seal. We talk about her work on TV shows in the house band, We talk about her original music. She's released a number of albums under her own name, and I've put some links to those in the episode description. Do go and check those out. We also talk about her projects reworking the music of Bowie and Prince, how to program sounds, and also what kinds of technical exercises she practices to keep her playing in shape. It's a super wide-ranging conversation with so many insights into her creative process and how you can take your keys playing to the next level. Talking of which, before we dive in, if you're looking to develop your keys playing, do sign up to the Keys Coach waitlist. I've got so many plans for the future, the podcast really is just the first step on this journey. So do go ahead and sign up and you'll be the first to know when new content is released. Also, if you have any guest suggestions, you can get in touch with me via email, adam at thekeyscoach.com, or you can message me on Instagram. Okay, let's dive into it. Here is the conversation I had with the amazing Jeanette Mason. Jeanette, so good to meet you and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm really good and good to meet you too. It's uh, I've, I knew as soon as I started this podcast, I was like, oh, I've got to get you on because I've seen so many of your videos kind of floating about on YouTube. I think maybe from The Hideaway, which yeah. is a uh, jazz, venue in, um, jazz venue in Streatham. How do you describe what you do? Because uh, I know you span so many different musical genres, so many musical worlds. You play piano and keys. I know you write a lot. What, how, if you meet someone, how do you describe what you do? I, oh, that's a hard one. I mean, I just love music in whatever form it is. And I've right. always liked to just do my own thing with it. I've never really wanted to, you know, play things the way they are meant, meant to be, if that's the right word. So I grew up, me and my brother would just sit down and take tunes and fiddle about with them. So it's kind of, it was from a very early age that I started improvising and, and just just changing things around a bit. So I, I don't think there's one word to really describe I do what I do, but my new word is I rewire things. Oh, okay, that's nice. I like that. Have you, you've yeah. named some of your album or like your um, musical releases around that, or like your your shows yeah. around that word, haven't you? Yeah, my latest. Well, my latest project is called Rewired, and that's a, that's a jazz piano trio. And then I had Deranged before that, so that was my sort of rearranging of classic songs. I saw your another album title you had was Din and Tonic, which I thought oh, was yeah. absolutely brilliant. That's like <laughs> one of the best album titles I've ever heard. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Um, really really yeah. good so you yeah. come from a musical family I do yeah right. yeah so your mum was a jazz musician so was there lots of music going on in the house when you were growing up all the time I can remember we had um we had a grand piano a set of vibes because my mum played vibes as well oh wow okay um key uh, organ and then she was more of a Hammond player um and my dad was a drummer so we just it was just music going on all the time 
with the neighbours banging on the wall going, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so was it was there a time when you thought, I'm actually going to, rather than it sort of just be, you know, as, you know, consuming what's going on in the house and listening to music that way, was there a time when you thought, actually, I'm going to take learning the instrument really seriously so I can get it to the next level? Or was it was it always just a kind of, you had a kind of more playful attitude to it? I think it was it was very playful in the beginning and then of course you get sent to do the grades so that gets a bit more serious doesn't it so I kind of got my technique together but I can remember really distinctly playing a piece of classical music in school in assembly and not getting it right and slamming the piano lid down and just oh, thinking wow. this is not this is not how I want to play music so from then on I sort of really looked for jazz education you know quite like when, when I was about 16, 17, I just knew that I wanted to be more creative in my approach to music. So how did you develop those skills to be able to play by ear and, um, and kind of work stuff out orally? How did you do that? Really just listening to tracks and trying to work out what was going on. But I had a really good foundation because before I even started to play classical music, my mother had taught me chords and harmony. Right. So I already knew I could play chords, um, you know, uh, by the time I was about seven. So I think having that, I already sort of had an understanding of the way that works and what the bottom end of the chord is. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, being able to listen to tracks, I was already sort of halfway there. Yeah, you kind of had that understanding of how the harmony is constructed. I think that's such an important thing, isn't it? It's, mm. You know, it, it means you can begin to recreate songs and you can, you know. And that's kind of a thing I think that does get left out in, in musical education. It's all reading the dots, but not really not really explaining where that, where that comes from. So I'm, I'm sure you do the same. But when I teach, I'm, I'm very clear about saying, well, actually, that's making a chord and that's why that's there and that's how that works in relation to that because i think if 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 uh, kids understand that it's a much more uh, pl- pleasurable experience trying to learn it is isn't it i, I was I, i've spoken about this with a few people but it's interesting when you learn guitar or drums generally speaking depending on the teacher obviously if you learn drums the first thing they get you trying to play is some sort of simple groove yeah if you learn guitar Quite, I mean, I had guitar lessons. The first thing was learning three chords, like D, G, and A, or whatever it was. I can't remember. I think, it, yeah, it was D, obviously D, G, and A, the open, open chords. On the piano, <laughs> sometimes we go de- completely down a different route. We don't take it from that, just sort of let's no. get them playing something as like quickly as possible that sounds like music. It can quite easily go into kind of the uh, the sort of depths of, oh, this is this is middle C, and this is the next line on the stave. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? So you obviously came at it from a completely different angle. Yeah, I, I, I did. I mean, I would always advocate for, you know, being able to read music as well. But um, yeah, I mean, just having that music around all the time, and even though you're probably not aware that you're taking it in, you know, I was listening to Oscar Peterson and uh, Errol Garner and Serge Mendes from a very early age. So it just it just kind of stays with you, you know. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so what was kind of the next stage? Where, do you remember when you first played with another musician? Um, I can remember my first gig. Okay, tell us about that. It's like a pub band. It was in the Bell in Ryslip. I remember very clearly. And I used to carry around a Fender Rhodes, believe it or not, on my own. I had a Fender Rhodes and then I progressed to a Fender Rhodes and a uh, DX7. Okay. I used to sit on top of the Fender Rhodes. So that was really my first foray into just learning songs, you know, and really getting used to how chord structures worked. Um, so that you could play, you know, gradually you built up a repertoire of songs and you just begin to see how they kind of knit together. And, you know, so that's that was my first exposure to playing live. 
it's interesting with the the DX7 and and all that kind of thing because I think you obviously had that real interest in playing keys quite early mm. quite early on mm. I think sometimes people can can learn on piano and then progress into keyboards and that kind of thing but you were obviously thinking about gear and trying to get different sounds quite early yeah well I think because we had a we had a Hammond at home so I used to go and sit and play that and you know I was so used to pulling out the draw bars and getting different sounds um yeah but no I, I originally what I wanted to do was actually go and do what what used to be called a tonmeister degree which was studying physics and music yeah audio engineering kind of audio and engineering so that never really happened but then I got into you know I love programming since I love there's nothing better than I like if I've got a show to put together and I'll sit here for a day and I'll get and I'll work out how the patches are all going to work together and you know and it's fun when you get on the gig and it you know half of them sound great and work but (laughs) then you know you've got to tweak a few because it doesn't work in the band so Oh, yeah, I've always liked that side of things. Yeah, it's it's so important that that whole programming side. How would you how would you recommend someone um could develop that side of their playing? How, if someone's like, oh, I've got no idea where to begin programming sounds. I've maybe played piano so much, but I really want to get into keyboards. What sorts of things could people do to try and get into that side of it? I think it depends whether you want to go really down the synth route, where you'll know you're you're changing filters and doing all of that stuff, because that's one type of synthesis. Yeah um that i do do um but generally a lot of the stuff that i'm doing is layering so i might be using a fender road and then i've got a string patch underneath Mm. um, and then i might split the keyboard to have another sound up here i think um it's it's good to get some kind of sense of um in fact i'll backtrack i think learning how to play keyboards first before you get into the programming how do you play a fender road sound it's not the same as playing a piano how do you play a string part you know, how am I going to make that brass sound sound good? You can have a great brass sound, but if you don't play it like a brass player, yeah. it's not going to sound right. So I would say, you know, start with some of those basics of get your different skills together. Listen to records and see how the brass players phrase, you know, if you're going to if you're going to be doing that. Same with strings, you know, um, just work out how the strings work, what type of string sound you're going to need, because um, that's really quite a nuanced thing and then from then you can go on to sort of you know tweaking the um frequencies of the sound and get a bit into a bit more detail with the sound and that's really interesting you say that is it is almost like you have to transcribe it off the record don't you listen to those horn sections listen to the Mm. strings try and get them and try and get your sounds to sound exactly like how they're playing it what what sort of setup do you use on most of your gigs have you always been with the same kind of keyboard make or have you kind of experimented with various setups Generally, I've stuck with Roland um, because I love their piano um, right. sound, and it's very have said easy. That actually. To, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've tried the Nords, and they're great, but in terms of just the playability of a, I've got a Roland RD two thousand at the moment, and it's just very easy to set up a few patches, you know, very quickly, and you can easily bring in another sound. It's got four different layers that you can bring in very easily. So if there's no acoustic piano there, I will kind of set that up um, as my main keyboard. And then depending on what the gig is, I've got um, a synth, a Roland FA07 that will just do some strings and some brass, or I've got a Dave Smith synth that you can, you know, do all the tweaking and all the filters and all of that stuff. So it depends on the gig, but generally I'll use two keyboards and an acoustic piano if they've got it. Fantastic. So doing that kind of, you know, kind of double, long-armed yeah. kind of playing that yeah, you have yeah, to yeah, kind fantastic. of develop. Yeah. Let's go right. Let's go right back. Um, sure. So 
I've, you went to study at the Guildhall School of Music, is that that's right? Mm. Yeah. So how, how did you find that whole experience? It was great. Uh, I think I was in my early twenties when I did it, so I'd already already been out playing a bit. Yeah. Um, but I've sort of always done things a little bit backwards. Right. I went out playing from the age of eighteen. I never went to university or did any of that. So I felt like I really wanted to get, you know, some more skills. I wanted to be able to write for brass properly and all of that. So. Um, you know, they had the big band there and we were taught to do that. And just the experience of playing with other people um, was great. I think it was just a one year course back then. So it was, you know, it's when jazz, jazz education was very much in its infancy in this country. So, mm. I mean, things have developed fantastically since then. Um, but yeah, just having that experience and, and you know, being with um, some great teachers uh, at the time um yeah it just gave me the confidence to sort of carry on know that you know what I was doing was right but have the confidence mm. to carry on doing it yeah so when you left when you left the Guildhall mm. what sort of gigs were you doing I mean I, I I know from um from reading your bio that you 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 went on to play with like Seal and Oasis so how did that mm. kind of music because that's obviously very different from the kind of jazz mm. music you were potentially playing as yeah. well so how did that how did that collaboration happen let me think. I mean, I'd all, I've always been in two camps, really. I've had one foot in jazz mm. and another foot in commercial music. Yeah. Um, and each have, each have fed each other, really, to be honest. Um, so I, when I left Guildhall, I was playing a lot of jazz and I met a lot of jazz musicians yeah. and we were doing different tri trios and stuff. Um, but there used to be a... Um, an agency called Session Connection back in the day. Right. And if you wanted to get pop work, you had to be with Session Connection. Okay. So um, they gave me my first kind of gigs. Uh, I'm thinking Jimmy Somerville back then I played with early on. Um, and as soon as you start doing that kind of work, um, people get to know that you do that. Mm. And that sort of led on to a lot of the other uh, commercial work that I've done. Because I'd always sort of played other music as well it you know I, I can play jazz and I love playing jazz um, but yeah. I have always played other music I've played you know in all kinds of different outfits salsa reggae yeah. so it's you know and that's always been great because that's kind of informed my jazz as well and yeah. vice versa you know I mean some of with the oasis that was me just playing whatever I wanted right oh well okay they didn't tell me what to play I just sat there and played the piano so there's a couple of things um we did a live show uh, unplugged at the uh, Royal Festival Hall. Yeah. And you can hear, I'm just throwing in some jazzy things here, there and everywhere. Oh, wow. But, okay. Fantastic. Yeah. I never got the thumbs down. Yeah. So that was good. It's funny, isn't it? How some people say they, they sort of shy away from doing that with certain artists because, you know, it might not be in the style or something, but that sounds like you were just given completely free reign and they appreciated mm. that as well. They wanted yeah. you to bring your own style to the music, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really no, that, that was good. And, um, you know, I think you'll find that with um, a lot of a lot of pop artists that they, I mean, there's so much jazz and R&B and soul in all, all the pop music that, you know, you, you, you're hearing those influences all the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. How did you find the whole t touring lifestyle? Because I know that's something that goes with music that, you know, some people you can either kind of love it or you hate it, you know, so how, how did you find it? I enjoyed it. I mean, I love traveling anyway. So if right. you've got the opportunity to go and play and perform in some fantastic places and you get a couple of days off when you can go and see somewhere, that's, I mean, that's brilliant. You know, yeah. I still enjoy it. I did a tour last year on a bus, sleeping on the top of a bus. That I don't enjoy so much anymore. <laughs> but, you know, it's just that 
it's that kind of whole thing of being with a group of people. Mm. I mean, you, you're all, you've all got the same aim. You want to go out there. You want to do the best gig that you can, you know, yeah. and avoid too much of the alcohol at the end of the night. That's usually the, course, you know, yeah. the downfall the of those two. Yeah. Party lifestyle. But yeah, no, I loved it. I loved it. That's really, Absolutely. really good. Um, so how did you make the move from playing as a kind of session musician to TV and film and writing music as well as, well as just playing other people's music? Well, I'll tell you the honest route. Back in the day, if there was a, 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 a TV producer who wanted a female musician, it was myself and Yolanda Charles and a drummer called Michelle Dries. We always got the call. Right, I see. So I got, I got to do uh, one of the early Jonathan Ross shows. And part of the remit of being the musical director was I had to write the signature tune. Okay. So, so that's where that kind of really started. I mean, I'd always been interested in writing um, for film and television. And yeah. I think a lot of my music is very visual in the way that I approach uh, writing music. Um, so that's, that's really where it started. You know, the, um, it, uh, it was if, you know, they were looking for female musicians. And for some reason, the three of us seemed to be the go-to people at the time. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. It, must, it must have been very fun because you must have accompanied loads of different artists that were playing and had to work yeah. on little arrangements for them and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Were there any yeah. kind of particular moments that you think, oh, that was really cool playing with that person who came on that show? Um, well, I, at the time, um, Katie Lang had just put out an album, which her, was, her was a massive album called Ingenue, and she was on the Jonathan Ross show. So I got to play Constant Craving with her, which yeah. was brilliant. Um, I'm trying to think who else was on that. Uh, Misha Paris. I mean, we, we had to play with and all kinds of strange people. Um, yeah. I don't know if you remember John Inman. They put these kind of comedy characters right, on them. Okay. So you had to come up with some kind of strange, uh, you know, arrangement of a of a, an old song for him. So, But that really was, you know, every week it was bam, bam, bam. You've got to come up with something. You're going to make it work. You're, and it was live television. So that really taught me a lot, you know. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that, and I mean, playing on live TV, a few people on this podcast have said playing on live TV for them is the most nerve-wracking of all. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Is, is, do you find that as well? Oh, well, you've got that countdown and you know you've got to play the signature tune. And it's got to come in at 30 seconds. Oh, well, the, the TV thing was actually played live, was it? Played live. Oh, wow, live. okay. Like the sort of Parkinson vibe kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was It was very much that thing. And um, I can remember uh, Candy Dolfer. She was great. So we played Pick Up the Pieces with Candy Dolfer. Yeah. But then I was playing it and my mind just went blank. And you're like, I've no idea what the next chord is. And there's nothing you can do. You are on live television you know of course. so you just learn to deal with those kind of um you know mistakes i mean we all learn to do that as musicians you learn to cover and and that's part of the skill really of becoming a a well-rounded musician you've got to learn to deal with that and and also not let it phase you yeah or get upset about it you know you just move on from it do you still get nervous when you perform now is that something that's kind of in your that happens now I think it really depends what it is. Uh, not no, because I I try to prepare as much as I can now. Okay. I think the only times I feel nervous is if I feel unprepared. Okay, and then you feel like you're maybe having to, yeah, you know, yeah. there's nothing worse than feeling like you're winging it a bit, is there? And that yeah. makes you no. even more nervous. I think I've I've yeah, certainly found so, that when I've been on gigs, you know. Yeah, I so uh, that's the only way around it. Just make sure you're prepared. Do do your homework. Yeah. 
but what is that expression prepare fail to prepare is preparing to fail you know it's all that one you know it's that it's that kind of idea so you were doing lots of work on tv you were you were producing lots of other music what kind of other things were going on around here because was it around this sort of time that you were releasing your own music kind of under your own name yeah, I, I was quite late coming to the table with that. So I think, it, yeah, my first album was in 2004 um, and that was uh, Din and Tonic. Um, and that just, I really just did what I wanted to do. You know, that's the kind of sound I was making at that time. Um, all all new compositions. But then I always throw in a, uh, you know, arrangement or something. I think I actually did uh, arrangement of Moon River on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to that today. That um, that, okay. that that album. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you were obviously doing so many different gigs and and doing work on TV. And at some point, you probably went, actually, I want to do my own album. Do you know what triggered that for you to go? I now want to release my own music because it's quite a big thing, especially as a session musician, to to suddenly or whatever you know, however you would describe it, to suddenly think what is my music and I'm now going to try and release something that's mine, isn't it? Well, I think it's really important if you're going to stay sane in the music industry that you do have your own voice in it, you know. I mean, there's di- there's different things you have to do. We all need to earn a living and there's this there's stuff you have to do. But if you don't honour your creativity, I think it's very bad for you as a person. So I've always tried in whatever way, however difficult that may, may be, I've tried to keep a little space that is me, you know, right. you make people, if, I don't mind if 10 people like it or five people like it, I still try yeah. and do that, you know, because that's just, that's why I started doing it in the first place. Can I ask how you make that space? So is it is it like you allocate a day a week or something to just, do you think, right, today I'm going to sit down for a day and I'm, I'm not going to answer any emails, I'm not going to do anything else, I'm just going to write my own music? Is it Does it work like that? Or is it a bit more like yeah. you're working it ad hoc? How, how does it work? I think you have to be incredibly uh, disciplined with that. Otherwise, right. things will eat up, will pull away at it. So I do try to, alongside everything else I'm doing, go. This is um, this is my day. I'm going to get up and I, I'm going to. This is what I'm working on today. You know. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter if it's a creative project just for me or if it's a creative project I'm doing with someone else. But you have to make that space. Otherwise, you know, nothing can. It can't happen. You, so. I'm working on a project now with a singer called Juliet Roberts. Yeah. Every twice twice a month on a Monday we 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 meet. Otherwise Fantastic. it's not going it's not going to happen. Yeah. You have to you have to you have to clear the way for it. You do. I was Admit to yourself. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I was listening to an interview the other day with someone and they were saying that we all have that thing in our life that is like the first thing to go as soon as we get busy. Hmm. <laughs> I know mine is going to the gym. So if I get busy on okay. a day I, mm. I, my, I really want to go, but it's just the thing I think, actually, I can just not do that and I'll just do this instead. But you actually do have to do those things because otherwise you won't do them, you know. And you, have, you, do have to make, you do have to make the time and sort of almost put it. I found recently that putting it stuff in my diary really helps. Actually writing it in my calendar that I'm going to yeah. spend that day doing it oh, is a bit of a commitment. Do you move it? Do you move it sometimes? <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have been yeah. guilty of moving it occasionally, yeah. but not as, not as many times as I, um, I thought I might perhaps. Is that, is that something you do then? Well, I think, I mean, you probably find this too. You think you can't quantify how much time something's going to take. No. And often things that you're doing take, you know, two, three uh, times amount of the time that you thought it would, even though you know that every time you do that, it takes extra time. But somehow I think we try and think you can box everything in. I think if anything I've learned in the last couple of years, you've got to, you've got to give it time. 
you you need time to to actually write write the wrong thing or practice the wrong thing or just just practice something that's not relevant to anything that you're doing just because you want to practice so it's just finding that little bit of extra time you know to do that with something like recording your first album yeah how did you choose number one what songs were going to be on that album the musicians you were going to play with and how did you uh, go about recording that what was your process for that because it's such a big thing to think I want to put together an album right the way through choosing the songs the musicians the arrangements what was that kind of process like for you did that come quite naturally I don't know I feel like I've always sort of half been in the studio really right. half my life I don't know why I feel like that but it I'm I feels a really natural place for me to be in fact if I could I probably would prefer to spend most of my time producing either myself or other people because I'm I, I feel really my happy place being in the studio um how did I put that together I'd already had the trio playing because I think it's really important that you've played the music quite a bit before you record it yeah, I don't like did, did. going in and playing new arrangements yeah because they they develop over time you know you so I'd had a trio um, working for a while so we we went in and recorded music that we'd already been playing um and then I think I planned quite ahead of time how I would record that, who would the get, who the guest artists would be. Um, and I've worked with the same engineer for 20 years now. Really important to have, that is for me, the other person in the band. You need someone there who knows what they're doing. They're going to take control of making sure that it sounds great from the bottom up. And I can just focus in on the performing side of it. So it was it was finding that person that i could work with um early on it's made all made the difference so i love the recording process now and we we spend a lot of time editing and mixing together and you've really got to get on with that person because you're you're making you know a thousand decisions a day when you're mixing something and you've got to you know you've got to really get on with the person that you're working with so um but I think I'd sort of been around, I'd been in studio, sort of kind of knew what the process was before I did my first album. So it was quite a natural sort of environment for yeah. you to be in, yeah. It's interesting yeah. you say you really like, so would you say you prefer studio work to live work? I mean, they're really different uh, animals, aren't they? You know, I think with um, recording, you've got more time to, to consider what you're doing. But the buzz, the buzz of a live gig, I mean, I still really enjoy that. I did all the music of uh, Prince last week um, and, you know, so the process of putting it together can sometimes be quite challenging. But then when you get on stage and you're playing it, it's just brilliant. Yeah. And you know that the audience are, are enjoying it. So um, I think that I, I think I'll always do both. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a setup at home? Do you have like a studio you work at home or do you go to a specific well, venue? Or You're sort of looking at it now. No, this is my sort of... Um, this is my sort of pre-production studio, so I don't okay. record anything in here, but I, I, I always go to, there's a couple of studios in London that I love working in, so. Brilliant. And Fantastic. it's got to be a nice piano. Yeah, of course. Mm. Do you have a particular favourite type of piano to play? Uh, Steinway. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. fun, isn't it? Some people go like the, the Steinway or the Yamaha, they never, you know, some people have particular. Yeah. There's, um, I played a, fazzi a fazioli the other day and that was absolutely lovely. The touch on that was, was just amazing. Yeah. What piano have you got there? Is that behind you? Is that? A this is a 1901 Steinway that I've had reconditioned. Wow. And um, yeah, I've had it a few years now. I used to teach up at Harrow School and it was very sad. It was in a corner all beaten up and 
you know, all the paint chipped off and names scratched in. I thought, but it sounded fantastic. And I just thought, um, I want to have this piano. So it's been a bit of a labor of love having it, but um, no, it sounds great. Um, uh, yeah, I do I do like Steinways. They, they do have a particular type of sound, but we had a, a Yamaha at the hideaway and that was great for live because it was yeah. just nice and bright and cuts cut through. through. So, yeah, it yeah. really cuts through. I think it all depends yeah. what you're playing. I think it's interesting as well as piano players, Mm. we have to turn up to a gig and play the instrument that's there. And obviously it's normally quite a nice piano, but it is amazing the relationship you develop with a piano that you really know. Mm. You know how it responds yeah. and you know yeah. just like exactly how, you know, particularly I find with the pedals as well. Yeah. You know, yeah the, when you're pedaling, yeah. it's like you just yeah. know exactly how much to press it to get that exact sound you want. And you have, when you get to a gig, yeah. You have to kind of massively just meet this sort of new <laughs> new piano and work out how it works sometimes on the on the stand. How do you, do you find that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking, often what I end up doing is just keeping my my foot on the soft pedal for the whole gig because I don't like the sound of the piano. Yeah. So you know, yeah. and that's become a bit of a habit. I I know 100. percent I've I've realised that something I do is put the soft pedal on all the time. Mm. And it's and it's actually a really bad habit because I probably should be able to play the piano. Uh, with a kind of softer sound or maybe a more kind of like delicate touch, but it is something that I do. And I think it's a way you can kind of make it less bright or a bit yeah. more, have that kind of more felty kind of sound. Mm. But um, yeah, it's amazing these habits you can pick up through having to play lots of different pianos, it's, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. I mean, it can be quite, it can really ruin a gig if you turn up and just the piano is just really not playable. It doesn't actually give you anything back. I always think it's a, it's a kind of a two-way street with the yeah. piano. You know, you've got to feel something from it, you know. So sometimes I'm often, if it's an upright, I'm taking the front off it, yeah, um, yeah. put the lid up and, you know, yeah. just trying to get something out of it. But I find pianos yeah. are so hard to mic as well on a live gig mm. if it's an acoustic piano. Yeah. And quite often it will only pick up like one, you know, if they're using one or two mics, it might yeah. only get the high end of the piano. I, I often think it must be so nice for like a guitarist to turn up and to just have know the guitar they're playing, you know, as their friend, whereas <laughs> we're kind of meeting this new, this new, yeah. uh, new instrument on the gig you know or anyone that brings their own instrument to a gig it's just I think it's much more complicated as a piano player yeah um, no I hadn't really thought about that but it is you're you're, you're continuously adjusting to to the yeah. surroundings and the yeah can I ask you about uh what you practice so um mm. do you have any kind of practice regime or are you often like you mentioned your print show which I'm going to ask you about in a minute but mm. do you are you often preparing music and that's kind of your practice or do you have a yeah. routine no I do have a routine I have been doing the same type of exercises just because I always think we are kind of athletes on the instrument. So yeah. if you don't keep your hands, your physical body in a good way, you can't play. Um, so I've always done, there's a book called Harrison and Tankard. I don't know if you know those exercises. I've been doing it since I was 18 and it's, it's, a, it's a series of exercises that go through all arpeggios and five finger patterns. But I've recently got back into uh, Hannon, because when I was recording yeah. my new album, it's much more quasi-classical, my new album. So, okay. but I was finding that my left hand had been, you know, you're playing chords all the time. Mm. So the, my left hand had gotten a bit weak. So I, I really, I said to a friend of mine, what shall I do? I was just get some advice. I just need to get my left hand stronger again. So oh. I, I dived back into the Hannon exercises. And, you know, I find it's a really good way if you're, if you are practicing, sit down and it just makes you focus straight away yeah. um, before you start practicking other things. I love so that if I have exercises, I think they're so yeah. good. 
do you use them i use them a lot um yeah and i do them i do them in all keys which is which is obviously what yeah. you're supposed to do but not yeah. a lot not not everyone does them in sort of all keys but mm. it's so good i find i find those hannon exercises really good like a bit like you were saying like reacquainting myself with yeah. the piano yeah. Because it's getting the feel of a key underneath your, like a key centre under your yeah. fingers. And so you're a bit more kind of, you're able to move about in that key a little bit more than you were before you've done them. I do them with like a metronome and I have yeah. found them really useful. What um, speed? What speed? Oh, I can't, I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> you do, do you do them fast, do you? No, I, I can't. And I, and I just, I, yeah. I don't, I mean, I'd like to get up to a bit more speed, but I think yeah. I've got, I've got a very nice steady speed and yeah. yeah. They are good. I've also got some um, salsa exercises that are, are good, you know, for, mm. that's a much more of a, you know, arpeggiated kind of stretching type exercise. So I like doing those. That's kind of your like more technique kind of side. Yeah. Do you yeah. have anything that you practice like voicings wise or soloing wise or is that tend to be the repertoire that you're about to play on that, a gig or something? I'd say that's pretty much the repertoire. Like if I've got a gig that, I'm, you know, my trio music is quite complicated. So yeah. if I've got a trio gig coming up, I will you know, practice for some time to get myself match fit for that gig. Um, I don't really practice soloing, funny enough. I okay. don't practice soloing. Maybe I should. I think, I mean, I haven't had a piano lesson now since I was probably 18. So most of what I've done in my adult life has been learning on the job and looking at what other people are doing and, you know, just picking things up along the way. Yeah. Do you do a lot of um, transcribing? Yeah, less less so than I used to. But I'm transcribing tunes all the time. You know, you've yeah. got 20, 20 songs to put together for a show. and uh, It is interesting. I've always found that transcribing is the thing that does propel my playing forward. I can see things. when I, If I've transcribed yeah. something, whether it's a voicing or it's a it's like a run or it's a solo line or something, it's amazing. That's, I think, the, the, the one thing I do where I actually do see a real difference in my playing right. afterwards because I hear it coming out. And oh, it's okay. like, oh, that was yeah. that was really useful. I did yeah. that. I don't know. I don't know if you found that before. Or absolutely. I mean, when I first started learning, I, I did some lessons with uh, John Myhill, who was a great uh, jazz piano player. Yeah. But he always said, just keep a little book like a dictionary, and you just write a lick down uh, that you like. You know, always put and just you just build up a glossary of these things that you like. Then you practice them in all twelve keys, yeah. and then you sort of change the rhythm of them. So I've always done that. Yeah. Um, and I would always say to anybody that I'm teaching, just build up, you know, stuff that you like, you know, the sound that you like. So, yeah. And then sometimes you play something you've got. I don't know where that came from. You know, sometimes you filtered something in a way and you're, you're playing um, because it's very easy to go to your go to safe way of playing. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, I found that before. I think one of the things I'm working on at the moment is like interplay between the hands. Mm. Um, and getting those you know particularly with things like grooves and yeah. you know and trying to get trying to get like my right hand punctuating my my like the groove that's going on in my left hand maybe when yeah. I'm playing solo or something and um yeah there, it's funny how you go through little phases of practicing different things mm. and kind of noticing little things when you're playing it's like oh god like you saying about your left hand mm. you know you just notice little things that you think actually I need to get that together and um uh, but isn't yeah. that the great thing about you know we, we're sitting here now I've been playing the piano since I was five and I'm still excited yeah. about playing and, and learning and developing and you know maintaining what I can do you know it, that never goes away what sort of music do you if you're just going to sit down in an evening thing I'm just going to play the piano and just play mm. what do you naturally gravitate towards playing I probably would write more than play right interesting I try okay. and write something yeah 
Yeah, so it might be like a like a tune, write a tune. Yeah, or, try and yeah. just try and write something. I mean, I, I well, this takes us on to a whole other subject, but I set up a piano music book company in lockdown because, you know, it was that sort of what's going on yeah. kind of feeling. And um, so, you know, I've been writing piano music for the last two to three years, something I've always done anyway, but more in the kind of Einaidi, Nils Fromm, kind of mode that kind of mode of piano pieces because you know from my experience of of teaching uh, the kids i teach at the moment they just love all of that stuff that mm. sound that kind of soft reflective kind of piano music so you know i've been writing a lot of that type of music lately great have you have you published those are they kind of, are they yeah, kind of yeah well we, we publish ourselves it's uh, you know we we try and put out a couple of books every year of new stuff. So oh, fantastic! Just Brilliant. trying to develop that yeah, that side of things. Amazing! That sounds that sounds really really good. Um, let's talk about your print show because I've checked out some yeah. videos about this. Okay, I've checked out some videos yeah. of this and it's so good. And you have got an absolutely amazing band. And mm. I guess my first question is why prints? I mean, it, maybe it's that that's a silly question, but it's obviously amazing. But what why was it? What was the music? What drew you to the music of Prince? Well, I mean the groove groove more than anything i mean you know he might not be the most time harmonically diverse but actually he is mm. um but it's that groove thing and then um being able to sort of take that and and do, just kind of do your own thing with it as well but there's some beautiful songs there there's a song we do called um sometimes it snows in april just oh, absolutely lovely. beautiful chord sequence um i'm trying to think of what else we do do you do um how come you don't call me anymore do you know that song no we don't do that one that's a good one yeah, yeah I, love that. I love that that is song. great isn't it yeah. well, even just things like diamonds and poles if yeah. you i mean he was just so diverse in his in his writing that, he was. Um, yeah i didn't realize i mean I, this sounds really silly now but I, it was only a few years ago i realized that he was playing all of the instruments on i feel for you mm. he was playing everything i mean it's yeah. just like absolutely mad yeah. it's absolutely it's just it's such a prolific amazing uh amazing I, I love prince i love prince's music so how did that project come about and can you tell can you tell us more about it and and, and the plans sure. for it well i'll tell you how this all started uh i've always worked at the pizza express in london and i used to be a musical director for a singer called leah delaria who's a jazz singer but also an actress um, and we used to put together every month a different composer. So that's where the kind of wall-to-wall -wall title of these shows come from. And we did Bowie and we did Harold Arlen. It would be across the board. We did Stevie Wonder. But it was very much, you know, we've got 12 arrangements to do. Sit at the piano, just see what comes out. So it started there. Um, and then when I moved to the hideaway to be... Um, a musical director there um i sort of continued that and we introduced more artists into the fold so uh prince was one that uh, david mccalmont particularly wanted to do um so we've worked quite closely together i mean he'll say to me well why don't we try this song like that and then i'll kind of make it work um but he has great ideas about you know taking things and just putting a slightly different angle on them. arrangements and all those kinds yeah. of things yeah fantastic yeah. What are your kind of plans with that band? Do you kind of have, do you have, are you going to do an album? Are you going to do a... Uh... Uh, we did do, uh, we did an EP of the Bowie material. Yeah. Um, but I've had the same musicians for 10 years now and they do all the different shows. So, um, yeah, we, 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 um, 
we did get asked to do um baccarat but that's oh, wow. um that's on hold at the moment but i mean i love the music of baccarat yeah. But whether I would want to kind of twist it too much. I mean, it's so rich anyway. Mm. I find sometimes like I've looked at things like doing Elton John or Queen, but their music is so sort of tied up very much. I think it's much harder to kind of put a jazz twist on that type of stuff. Whereas with Bowie and Prince and Stevie, well, Stevie's jazz anyway. I always think of him as jazz. Um, you can find a way in and a way of adding a little bit more. And some artists, you just can't. Go on. Can you, can you explain what you mean by put a twist on it? Just like, what, what do you mean by that? Because I okay. think that might be a, it's an interesting thing. Do you mean like reharmonize things? Are you changing the yeah. grooves? What kind of yeah. things are you talking about? I'll give you an example. For Starman, David Bowen, yeah. about, I never know which way to say it, completely changed the speed Right. And and based it around this little this little riff on the piano made out of fifths. Maybe you can spin in the track later. Yeah. So people can hear it. It's totally different to the original. interpreting them more in the same way a jazz musician might interpret a jazz standard exactly it's the same thing i see it as the same process you know in in the 50s that's what those musicians were doing then and there's been a big tradition i think in the last 20 years of people taking you know like kurt elling taking mm. you know weather report or he takes um i'm trying to think who, who's done songs of there's a fantastic album by diane reeves where she's done a very similar thing to the kind of approach that i take I don't know if you know the album Dreams, where she's done Bob Marley. Um, she's got a Fleetwood Mac track on there. Um, and I love that. It's like you hear the song in a new way. And the interesting thing is when we do these shows, you just see people sort of think, what's going on? Mm. And then they suddenly realise what the song is and then they enjoy it. It's like, you know, some, of the, some diehard fans might hate it, but it's just like shining a new light on the music. And I try and do that when I kind of rearrange. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's amazing what you're doing. I think it's great, and the, the oh, tracks I you. heard were really um, were really really great. What's your process for learning all that music? Do you read the Do you read on the gig, or have you kind of internalised it? And what's your no, process? I have, to, I have to admit that because I do so many different shows, it's like I I can't retain. You know, I'm going on to the next show, so I do now use an iPad. Okay. Um, or something like that. I yeah. use I use Fourscore and I've got it all marked up and I've got my my program changes on it as well because if you've got you know we're doing 
upwards of we're doing 18 to 19 pieces of music yeah i've got to remember do the drums come in there so i'm almost i've got all the notes on my uh piano part so i i know so i'm almost in a way conducting the show so to do that from memory i think i just would find too too scary now to do it i prefer to be feel safe yeah i do know that i do know it i mean if you took it away i'd probably be all right but it's a yeah. safety blanket now it's funny isn't it whenever i have the eye like or an ipad or a piece of music in front of me mm. i look at it even if i know it yeah <laughs> it's so weird it's such a weird psychological thing even if i know what's there and i know how to play it and i could do it without mm. i still look at it and that's something i'm working on trying to i don't know do you find that as well yeah but i was just thinking about what you were saying the, the difference is and i'll give you an example back in the day when we did a pop tour you would rehearse for six weeks yeah you could learn the music in six weeks and then you'd play it and then you'd play it every night you can learn in that way now I turn up to do a show. We have a three hour rehearsal in the afternoon yeah. and I'm playing the performance that night. And that's a little bit the way, um, you know, the area of music that mm. I'm in, jazz, there's, there's not that budget to, to give you the time, you know, sadly, quickly, yeah. you know, and I don't like actually, I really don't like working in that way. And I think, mm. you know, I'm going to be political now. I think the arts council and all the funding bodies should put some music towards that because we are all running around mm. trying to put these things together where there really isn't the budget to do it so that's a very long-winded way of saying um <laughs> it's very difficult to then memorize because you're not getting the time you need to process yeah so it's, yeah it takes a long time to learn a whole set of music doesn't yeah, it it does let's talk about your new album which is called rewired it sounds really really exciting uh tell us a little bit about how that project came about I decided to go back to acoustic piano. Um, the previous album I did put synths on, but I just thought I've been in the music, I've worked out, and this is going to sound crazy, but I've been performing for 41 years. Wow. That's a long time. And I just thought I want to reflect on that span of music. I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle because I grew up, you know, with my mother being the jazz pianist, listening to all that music before. And she was listening to stuff going forward. And then I've spanned the next uh, period of music, the history of music. So between myself and my family, we almost cover the history of jazz. Wow. In terms of, you know, being a part of that, mm. that scene. Um, so I thought with this album, I really want to go back to uh, from the 1940s to 2023. So I've got pretty much a song from every decade that I've then that I've had some um, connection with. So there's an Oasis track on there. There's a, a Bowie uh, track on there because I'm now working with Tony Visconti, who was Bowie's producer. And um, there's um, Lullaby of Birdlands. George Shearing was a big influence on me growing up. Um, so I wanted to put a track of his on. So I've basically sort of just paying homage to all that music that's been such a huge uh, influence for me. Fantastic. But I've put my, my spin on it again. So this is a trio album. Yeah. It? Yeah, fantastic. Who's in your trio? It's Tom Mason on bass. Yeah. And Eric Ford on drums. Fantastic. Good and I've got that. some guest artists as well. That'd be good. I'll put, I'll put a link to this down in the, um, down in the description. Um, I'm sure people go and check it out. It sounds very, very cool. You mentioned just then that you'd, you've played in the industry for 40 years. You've worked in the industry mm -hmm. for 40 years. Yeah. 
How has the industry changed since when you started to where we are now? Is there, is there like these, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the rehearsal time for something like mm-hmm. a tour and for a performance, mm-hmm. but are there any other really big changes that you've noticed over that time? Well, it only in the last 20 years, like when I put my first CD out, you could sell lots of them, you know. And we all know that streaming has had a very, very, very detrimental effect on musicians like us who are reliant on people buying our music uh, on gigs um, or, you know, buying it through the Internet. The, uh, so that 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 income stream, I'm, I'm not that it's I only want to talk about money, but that income stream has gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I thought very seriously about whether I wanted to put the money into making another album. Right. Because it, I I know it's purely for me. I want to do it. Whether I'll ever recoup the money, who knows? Mm. I'd like to think I would. But, you know, it's a big investment now for very little uh, gain. But in, in terms of, you know, creativity and putting that out there, it's a necessity for me to do it. You know, I need to, I want to do that. I want to have my voice out there doing it. Yeah. So I say it's really that. It's that, it's the way that the musicians can now earn money um, as that side of it has gone. So you have to find other ways to, uh, to make your, your money, your, your creativity valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, whether that's through, I mean, I guess that's through live shows and through merchandise and through mm. other kind of other kind of platforms as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's um, it's kind of, it has it has completely changed. But that's interesting that you've seen that transition over mm. this over yeah. this time, the transition to streaming. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been really really great chatting. Um, and I'm I'm going to put lots of links in the episode description. But tell us where people can go and check out your music. Come and see me at the Pizza Express on November 27th, Dean Street. That's the next uh, trio outing. Fantastic. Um, and then you, everything's on my website, JeanetteMason.com. Brilliant. I did see that date. I'm going to try and come along to that. It's on the, uh, yeah, November the 27th. The P- I love yeah. the Pizza Express. It's such a, I um, love it too. <laughs> such a great venue. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really good. And it's, uh, yeah, it's good fun, good food and good music. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you once again to Jeanette for coming on the podcast. It was so great to hear about all the amazing things she's up to. Go and check out all those links in the description, particularly that gig at Pizza Express. It sounds like it's going to be a great night. Thank you so much for listening. We have lots of other guests coming up for you. So remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I will see you in the next episode.